Hey everybody, this is Ted Wynn, and on the next episode of Perspective, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to author, columnist, and political analyst, Kirsten Powers. We will be discussing her new book, Saving Grace. Speak your truth, stay centered, and learn to coexist with people who drive you nuts. You do not want to miss this conversation. It's going to be deep and impactful. Perspective with Ted Wynn, right here. Hi, everybody. This is Ted Wynn with Perspective. And today I have uh, an incredible guest on. Her name is Kirsten Powers. She is an author, a columnist, and a political analyst. And let me just start right at the top by doing what I love to do, which is promote books. <laughs> Her book, Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. I love that title. I have two copies. Uh -huh. I won't tell you, you all why I have two copies. I'll tell Kirsten off mic why I have two copies of this book. Uh, but I wanted to, to talk about that today and a few other things. So Kirsten, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so let me let me just say at the at the onset, I um everybody who knows me knows I'm a CNN junkie. Like phones, t all my TVs are always on CNN. I have my nephews watching CNN now, and I I've seen you on there many many times. Uh, but there was one time in particular that really just like made me pay attention more closely. And I know you've been on CNN a billion times, so you might not even recall no, this. this. <laughs> <laughs> but you were on with Alice Stewart, mm -hmm. and you were having a conversation um, about Trump and everything that's happening. And the conversation veered into um, white privilege. And as, as a lot of people do, she understood it as, you know, having some... Uh, benefits to like wealth and all these other things. And she said, well, you know, I grew up poor and I worked for everything. And you and you did such an incredible job of explaining and articulating what that actually means. It's not a doesn't suggest that all white people are wealthy or, mm -hmm. you know, go to the best schools. Um, but it is about the fact that race is not an impediment to your progress. And you talked about things like a scholastic, uh, uh, um, some type of tests that maybe okay. Yeah, right. And standardized testing that may be, um, you know, skewed in your favorite and you're not even aware of it. And it was just so brilliantly done, which is which makes so yeah. much sense for you to be writing something called Saving Grace, which I don't know if I have a lot of. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. So that was that made I think I, I recorded it and I posted it on my Instagram because um, I just didn't hear that from a lot of people, especially during the whole Trump craze um, mm. on television. And I thought it was really um, well done. Oh, like, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, I also get so much hate when I talk about that kind of stuff. It's like mm. refreshing to hear something positive. <laughs> <laughs> so people message you or email you or tweet you or what do they, they do? Me, they message me on Instagram and um, Facebook, they, you know, met, I, I have, I actually don't have a public email address precisely because of this, mm -hmm. um, had to get rid of it. Um, but, and so I have like a contact form on my website to kind of cut down on the kind of just 
spamming. Um, so they'll contact me through the website and it's like, it's bananas. That's crazy. Was <laughs> that, what, what was it? What was the, uh, the, the catalyst for you writing this book? Like, why did you write Saving Grace? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was survival basically. I kind of was mm. at a point where I just felt like I really hit a wall in sort of late 2018, early 2019, where I just realized it just wasn't sustainable for me to be living the way I was living, which was just filled with contempt and rage and, mm -hmm. you know, even hatred at times. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. really, um, and I just felt like the way I was thinking about people, even if I wasn't saying it, because mm -hmm. a lot of people will say, oh, but on air, you're so calm and you have <laughs> such grace. And it's like, you don't know what's going on inside. Me. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> Like, there's a different conversation happening. Yes. Um, and, and so, and I was having to deal with this every single day. There was no way to get away, away with, from it because I had to actually go on air and have the conversations with the people that were driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, and then I had to cover the news, which was also driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I just realized like something's, this is not sustainable. And I had this sense that what I didn't have was grace mm. um, and that I didn't see a lot of grace in our culture because things also separately were just getting spinning out of control, as you know, you yes. know just the way everybody was behaving. It wasn't yes. just certain people who were behaving badly. It started to be like everybody was behaving badly. And mm -hmm. so I kind of had an intuition about it and I wrote a column and I, and basically what I felt like is, you know, I need to own my part, like my mm -hmm. nastiness on Twitter or, you know, the things that, that I've done that I kind of look back on that aren't, were less than great. And, <laughs> um, and kind of say like, just put a marker down and be like, I'm going to make this a turning point. And like our culture needs to kind of shift because mm -hmm. this isn't sustainable. And as you know, it's not just people. It's not like, I think someone might say, well, it's, you know, I only do it towards Donald Trump. It's like, no, you don't. It's like you do it towards people who believe the same things you believe, but believe one thing different. Sure, sure. sure. It's, like, it's like it really has gotten so brutal. And mm -hmm. and so I basically then I really delved into the topic and and I just realized that because at first I thought, Grace, yes. And then I thought about it a little more. And then I was like, no, because it sounds a little weak and a little like mm -hmm. rolling over. But mm -hmm. the more I delved into it, the more I realized how powerful it is and how like um, it like, it, first of all, it's really hard. So it's not easy. It's the opposite of you. Hating people is easy. Hating <laughs> people in contempt so easy. Um, and so... But actually, you know, I say grace is, is creating space for other people to not be you. And mm. so like taking that space and kind of going, okay, person who's driving me nuts, um, I'm not affirming or endorsing what you're saying, but I am saying like, you, you get to be this person and I don't have to have you in my life or I can disagree with you or whatever it is, but I won't demonize you. I won't dehumanize you. I won't mm -hmm. hold you in contempt. And the person who ends up benefiting from that is us. It, it, se it seems very um, psychoanalytical in a way. It is. Right? Yeah. To really understand the catalyst of people, to understand what prompts people to be who and how they are. Uh, not that you want to do a deep dive into every person, but yeah. what is the, you know, what 
I, I, I've done. A, we had a, we have another episode where we're talking to a professional um, counselor about therapy and these other things. And so you do kind of want to look at um, or think about what life events have shaped a person. What is the catalyst for this person's behavior? And some that's a, to your point. That's a really difficult thing to do, especially if you're in the heat of an argument, mm-hmm. or if a person is saying something that you feel is completely ridiculous. Like how could you? Like when we're talking to people about the election was stolen and you're like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. How, how do you, be, how and why do you actually believe that? And I've, I've seen interviews with people who are not putting on, they really believe that it's what's stolen. And I don't know how to deal with that because that defies logic and reason and facts and yeah what do you say to that a lot of what i get into in the book is there's a lot of social science on the way people make up their minds about political ideas and one of the social scientists i quoted said something i'm paraphrasing but basically if you expect people to make rational arguments to support what they believe you're going to be constantly disappointed (laughs) <laughs> that's not how people and it's not even how we made our decisions that's the thing like mm. we think like but can any of us really say i mean i kind of had to do it because i i do it for a job but before mm-hmm. i had worked in this environment did i ever sit down and go well i'm going to take all these positions and learn everything about them and all these positions learn everything about them and then i'm gonna no. like we intuitively are drawn to the things that you know align with us and our brains actually search out, it's called confirmation bias, actually search out information that confirms what we believe. Mm. So that's how it happens. It's that people live in an environment where everybody thinks what they think. Mm-hmm. They go to a church where everybody says this, where the pastor says this. Mm-hmm. They watch a news station where everybody says this. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't know anybody who doesn't think this way, mm-hmm. right? And they've lived in an environment where people who think differently have been demonized and dehumanized, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to trust another source. Like you, you bring another source to them, they're just not, they're not going to. It's like, because they have been conditioned to believe that they can only trust these sources. And primarily for a lot of them, it is their pastor, right? And, mm-hmm. and so I think it's, so you can kind of see how they, they get there. That's not, doesn't mean that you're like, oh, no big deal. They just, you know, they're misguided. It just means that, you know, when when you go down the road of judging other people, like pretty much every spiritual practice, every religion says don't judge, right? And sure. and it's because it's because I think it's because when you go down that road of judgment, you are now intertwining yourself with this person. Like mm. you're allowing them to like live rent-free in your head and mm-hmm. take over your emotional state. They can make <clears throat> ruin your, your whole day, they could ruin your whole mm-hmm. week. Versus mm-hmm. just being discerning and looking at them and saying like, okay, I see you. I see this. This is problematic. Um, I'm going to decide whether I want to engage or not. Sure. But I'm not, you don't get to come over and live in my head. Like that's yeah. not happening. I think that's really important and, and important and difficult. And I say that because when people live uh, in any marginalized space, right, whether that be race or gender or mm-hmm. orientation or what have you, I think sometimes we, we can we still have choices, but for myself, right? Someone who's who's engaged in activism and trying to make change, I don't feel sometimes I have the luxury to disengage um, completely. And I'm not say, suggesting that's what you're saying. Oh yeah, because I don't mean disengage. I mean you're not giving over your emotional state to the person. 
Like you're not, mm. so you could still engage. You still could sure. say, Hey, you know, what you just said is not okay. Sure. I'm going to tell you why, or mm -hmm. what you just, you, you said is not okay. And actually you and I are not, we're not talking anymore. You know, <laughs> boundaries yes. and say like, we're just not, this isn't going to work for me. Or you can decide to engage and try to convince them. And I have a whole chapter on that about how to engage in healthy conflict in a way that may actually change somebody's mind. But no, I mean, that's why I really wanted it to be clear in the title, like speak your truth. Like this is mm -hmm. not about like, this isn't about like just looking the other way or just being like, oh, those crazy people or whatever. Yeah. That's not it. This is actually a way to stay engaged. Yes. Like it's it's a way to like to be able because it was the only way I could stay engaged. Otherwise, I really was just so exhausted and angry. And um, and I wasn't I, I actually feel like I'm much more productive now, you know, in mm. terms of focusing on the things that could make a difference versus yeah raging you know about the people who are making me crazy you know th this is um my favorite uh reminds me this conversation of my favorite james baldwin quote which is we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist yeah and and that is because when i saw the title that's the quote i thought about yeah. um of your book and so as i was you know, looking into it, reading it, um, you raise some really interesting points and I think really challenge us um, to see people's humanity, um, see them, you know, as individuals and to be empathetic to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that to the point you raised earlier about um, how we form our opinions and how those are, um, how we perpetuate those ideas, um, is, is really based on, you know, living in these microcosms, so to speak. And what we do find, I think sometimes is when we do engage and have conversation with people who think differently. And my point, my, I always say that, you know, when I have a conversation with someone who thinks differently, my point is never to change your mind. Right. It really is to share my perspective and to hear yours, right? To right. listen, to try to understand each other. And, and I think that, um, if we do that, then we become um, less volatile, maybe. Right. Um, and, unless there's someone who has a really like, if someone is a, you know, devout racist, then I'm not sure what we're talking about, right? Point <laughs> because they have these, you know, these ideas that are um, yeah. steeped in hate and and bias, and I don't know really know what we would, what we would do with that. Um, but as we're talking about the kind of multi-political divide even conversation that we're having right now as you're well aware around like vaccines it's like what like and i think that social media for all the good it you know does has been a part of the problem so to speak because yeah. I, I really i don't have any way of proving this but i believe if social media was not in existence i think a lot more people would be vaccinated probably yeah i think that's I right. just i don't think that you know, no, we have I, all I mean, these... that's the way uh, the, the QAnon stuff spread was through social media. Without social media, that would not have spread that way. Yeah. And and I hear from a lot of people who, like, particularly with the QAnon thing, which is like another level of crazy, um, you know, people who are like have family members who weren't even politically involved, who have mm -hmm. gone down the Q rabbit hole. You know what I mean? It's, and it's because of Facebook. Yes. they They got pulled into it through sex trafficking or whatever right yes 
Yes. Yeah, no, I think that that's true. And I think that, I think like when the, you know, the idea of loving people is, mm -hmm. um, so like when Jesus says to love your enemies, and this would be the same definition that MLK would use, or, you know, a John Lewis or mm -hmm. those people, it's not like in English, we only have one word for love. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we love chocolate and we love our boyfriend and we love our friends and we love whatever. Right. And it's like, yeah. it's all the same. It's just yeah. not like, there's no differentiation. Whereas the love, love that Jesus was talking about in the Greek was agape love, which mm -hmm. was separate from Eros or Phileas, you know, it's like friendship, mm -hmm. you know, romantic love. Sure. It's, it's a love of humanity. Mm -hmm. It's not, being it's not being friends with people it's not even mm -hmm. liking them in fact mm -hmm. not like them mm -hmm. uh, and it's not so i think that's one area where there's a lot of confusion when people say you know love your enemies or you know to have love for other people even when they're really terrible it's mm -hmm. it's not really about them it's not about their behavior it's more about looking at them and saying you know yeah, what got you here and seeing the potential and the possibility in them to be different, um, but not putting <clears throat> ourselves in an emotionally unsafe situation. Yes. So that's why I have a whole chapter on boundaries, you know, yes. so other than demonizing people, you use boundaries and use boundaries around who you're going to interact with or and how you're going to interact. You, you talked about um, where we are now, like in terms of our divide and I think that when I hear this conversation happening about how divided we are as a country at this point, mm -hmm. um, I always find it interesting because it, 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 for me, feels like the suggestion is that we weren't divided before 2016. I'm like, where were you guys living? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like, do you feel like we are more divided? Like, I do. Yeah. You do. Okay. Why do you feel that way? Well, I feel like we're more divided and I don't know that it's a bad thing actually. Mm. Uh, so I think that, I think the problem is the divisiveness, like the way that we interact with each other. I okay, think, yes. so I have like in the beginning of the book, I talk about how I'm not talking about unity because that was a big thing. You know, Joe Biden came out and, and called for unity and it's like, now, unity is an actual metaphysical impossibility. It's not going to happen. And we need to be honest about the really major differences that exist that, you know, that didn't exist when I was growing up. Okay. Mm. Because, and that, and, and they didn't exist and it was bad that they didn't exist mm. because we didn't talk about police brutality publicly. Mm -hmm. We didn't, I mean, even in my public career of being on TV, I mean, there was times where if, if, when I criticized the police, like my job was on the line, you know what I mean? And it wouldn't matter where you were working, you know, it was, right. and so saying like things, you weren't allowed to say things like everybody was united. The gay people shouldn't have rights. Yes. The whole Democratic Party was united. They it's were united well into, like, I mean, Barack Obama when he was elected, didn't support same-sex marriage, you know? So, so there was well, he, a He said he didn't. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like it was, that was, Democrats were voting for somebody who said they didn't support same-sex marriage. And it's like, sure. so I'm saying like, there was a lot of unity because there weren't so many voices at the table. And so mm -hmm. when all the white men got together and agreed on everything, it was like, yeah, what a shocker. Like, you know, that you have two women in the Senate, which is how many women were in the Senate when I graduated from college, okay? I wow. mean, this is like, 
And like you have two women in the Senate, you have a handful of women in the House that are treated like garbage. Yep. You know, you don't have any representation that's not white, really, like very mm-hmm. little to mm-hmm. none. Um, no out gay people. No, mm-hmm. right. So it's it's like, so yeah, there was unity. There was more unity. <laughs> that, but that's, I, I saw um, a piece, well, this is back, I was watching The View, and um Megan McCain was talking about um, this same thing. You know, you had, you know, a longing for the days of, you know, Tip O'Neill and Reagan, and we could all, we could, you know, disagree and get things done. And and I, I was talking to a friend about that, and I said, I think the thing that's left out of this conversation is, yeah, these were still like cisgender, hetero, white men having conversations about what they thought the future should look like. And so now that you do have representation to a small degree, you, there's so much pushback now. There's so right. much like, you know, animus happening. And it's like, no, we can't allow this and we can't do this. And now we're, you know, manipulating, you know, the rules right. of the Senate in order to get Supreme Court justices on the bench. And like, I mean, there's yeah. all these things that are kind of blatant, are more blatant now because I think people are, I, mean, I don't know if the right word is fearful, but they are um, intentional about maintaining power mm-hmm. and they will do whatever they need to do to maintain said power. And so I do think that's why we are seeing this now. So I, I I hear you in terms of like what the divisiveness looks like now, how that's showing up. Um, you talked about something else in the book that I thought was interesting. Um, when grace runs out. <laughs> and so what does that look like? And how do we respond to that? Yeah, I think that um, one of the reasons that grace can actually be sort of a triggering word to people Mm-hmm. Is because it's been weaponized mm-hmm. and it's so it's been used in a way that's really not what it means. But and mm-hmm. and so it's been used to silence people, it's been used to tell women or people of color, you know, anybody, you know, gay people, anybody who doesn't fit the little, you know, cookie cutter paradigm that they want you in. Um, you know, anybody who's saying, like, hey, I don't really feel represented here, or you know, in, in churches, um, being told, you just need to have grace for people. You know, like, well, I think the pastor said something racist. Well, you know what? We're all sinners and <laughs> we have grace for people, right? And so it's yes. been used as a weapon really to keep people down. Yes. And so that's not grace. And mm. so that's one thing that like, I, I want to be very clear about that, um, you know, that I think that, um, and that, and that I think that there, that you can drive a person to a point where they're going to lash out and act mm-hmm. what you might call crazy. Sure. Um, because you have abused the grace that they've been giving you. Mm. And, and you and you gaslight them. And I would say mm. this has happened to women. I would say it's happened to black people. I would say it happened to anybody who's really not a straight white man. Yes. Um, now, not everybody's aware that it's happening. There are women, particularly white women, who get very upset when I say this kinds of things because they don't think that this is a thing, but it is. And mm. so I, you know, it's, so I, I, but I particularly focus on race in that chapter of mm-hmm. when, you know, when you have this phenomenon, which I've just watched happen over and over again, where people who have never say a word about police brutality, they never say a word about all the systemic injustices against black people in this country about what's mm-hmm. the criminal justice system about, I mean, just every layer, they never mm-hmm. say a word. And then there's like some rioting and suddenly everybody has an opinion and it's like, you know, and and it's like, 
or you know or somebody gets canceled or whatever and then they're like well, why can't they have more grace and it's like where have you been like right. what are you talking about like it's been nothing but grace this yes the beginning you know and it's like how yes. much grace do you need mm-hmm. like at some point like enough is enough you know? yes i i, I, I and, and you can't like stop even though they're misusing grace in that case but mm-hmm. i've been saying like even to get to the point of just being like you know just do, you should never ask people for grace, first of all, but mm. particularly asking people who are being harmed to yes. show grace. Yes. It's like, no, that's not like, that's not how it works. Yes. And why are you always so focused on grace? The people who are being harmed, you know, giving grace and not the powerful people giving yes. grace. Yes. And it's always like, um, and they always want grace for the powerful person, right? It's like the powerful person says something racist and it's like, just have grace for them. And it's like, Where's your grace for the little black boys that are getting kicked out of school? Yes. I don't think, I think that one of the things that I I saw this quote um, some time ago and it was, it was very interesting. And it said that um, when we're having these conversations around race, it said white people should be happy that what black people want is equality and equity and not revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that gets lost in these conversations to the point you're making. And when I have, um, to your point earlier, like, you know, we kind of all live in our bubbles uh, to some degree. And I remember having a conversation with um, this white guy at a bar who lived in my building at the time. And we'll be talking about, um, you know, racism and systemic racism, and he didn't really understand it. And so I said, let me let me make an analogy for you. Hopefully this helps. I said, when you when I asked you to meet me at the bar, did you think about how you were going to get in the bar? He said, no. <laughs> right. I said, if you were in a wheelchair, do you think you might have thought about access to the space? And he said, probably. I said, well, there was a point in time in this country where, um, you know, people in wheelchairs weren't considered in building codes and other things. So those people had to complain, uh, make noise and say, hey, we we can't get in certain buildings. And so what happened is the people who wrote building codes had to rewrite those codes to make sure that these people could have access to the space. Mm -hmm. I said, so all Black people are asking for is that the rules be written in a way that give us access to the same space that everybody else has because we have been locked out intentionally. It's not, you know, like it happenstance. Like it was like, like laws were specifically written to um, prevent us from having access in certain ways. Like, I mean, and when we think about this, my mother was born in the fifties. And so I am (laughs) the first generation in my family born with all of my rights. Mm-hmm. Not even my mother, not even my grandmother who's still alive. My grandmother's 86. Like, so when you think about the, the, you know, how recent this is, and we're still having conversations about voting rights. Yeah. In 2022, we're still talking about how we can ensure that all people have the right to vote. So yeah. when we have these conversations around to your point about grace and who should give it, who should get it. I do think that gets lost many times um, from people who live in in certain elements of privilege who are not affected in certain ways by police brutality. But I do, I'm happy that these conversations are happening. My mixed engineer, who's a white guy who lives in Nashville, said that the George Floyd, you know, murder really opened his eyes. He's been thinking about these things, but it was interesting. And so maybe 
I don't want to put you on the spot, but <laughs> why do you feel? Because for for us, it's kind of like hard to understand how someone could be oblivious to racism when it's for me when it's like everywhere. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like that happened for? None well, I feel folks. the same way. So it's funny because I always say, I don't what was I think something just happened recently. There's so many things I get them confused where it was just so racist. And I was like, oh, the woman, the judge who with the, the N-word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, and so and I, you know, I grew up in Alaska, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it is very white. And mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't I mean, there there's a native population, but they actually mostly live in the villages and stuff. And so yeah. I, did, I saw some racism there, I guess. Mm-hmm. I definitely did. I saw some racism there, but um, I just, I wasn't exposed to it that much. And then my fiance grew up in Texas. So he has like a totally different perspective, right? And so yeah. when I was there, I was like, I don't understand. I was like, <laughs> how does a person like think this I think I don't get it like it's just he's just like yeah this is just like some people even though he he grew up in a pretty like progressive family so mm-hmm. it was different but I was like but I don't understand I, I just really couldn't get my mind around it I was like cockroaches like I don't I don't get it <laughs> you know what I mean like I just am like how can they not see how wrong this is like I, yeah. I really I really can't you know get my mind around it and I think that um, I th- the only explanation is that this is what they were taught and they never have been in an environment to question it. But I just, I, that's the best I can do. And I don't really, cause it just seems like something that you would just realize is wrong. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even speaking to the, the nature of it being right or wrong. I mean, the mere existence of it. Like there are people who say, I mean, people in, in the Congress right now in the U.S. House and in on, in the Senate, who's like Mitch McConnell, who will say that, you know, racism is incidental, like it's like a thing that a person does or says, who deny systemic racism. Well, who because deny I think it's kind of, racism. kind of what I'm saying is like, I think that woman doesn't think she's racist. Mm. See, right. It's like she said, like, our family's not like this. Like, it's, you know, like, and so I feel like they don't i don't know that's what i'm saying what's strange to me is that people who are saying things that clearly are racist will insist that they're not racist and it's like i don't understand (laughs) like what like you are saying like but i think maybe because they feel like racism is only looks one way because they're not the kkk honestly Yeah. yeah yeah it's like i think the biggest problem is that white people are taught you know that the racists were Bull Connor and yes. the KKK burning crosses on. So if you're not burning a cross on your neighbor's lawn, then you're not a racist. Yes. Like, I think that that's the mentality. And so, um, I, and then anything else I think is just seen as like, I don't know. I don't know because I still have a very hard time with it. It's like, it's so obvious to me. It's like, I, oh, obvious. Um, you know, like it, it's just all the, different outcomes when you put a black person and a white person in a million different situations whether it's like i mean i'm sure you saw the thing about the people who like wanted to take out a second mortgage on their house and Mm -hmm. it was like undervalued by like hundreds of thousands of dollars i mean it's 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 like it's it's so pervasive and it's everywhere yeah it's just i i it's hard for me to understand people who think that but a lot of people do think that i don't nobody in my life thinks that Sure. So, um, well, how do you suggest that we 
those of us who, who understand that these things are real and measurable, right, through empirical data and study, et cetera, how do we deal with, you know, in, in the theme of, of, of the theme of grace, right? Everybody make sure you get this book. I'm going to keep doing this. How do we deal with those people or do we deal with those people? Well, I, so I think some people are called, so I think being a bridge builder is a calling. I actually don't think okay. it's for everybody. And some people feel really called to that. I have mm -hmm. some who are like that. And, you know, and if you're not called to it, you're not called to it. And I don't think you should really feel bad about it. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. it's, and so, but, but what the social science has found is that when people have conversations where um, it's a conversation and you're not mm -hmm. bombarding them with facts, actually bombarding people with facts will just shut them down immediately. And mm -hmm. so, um, and rather you're sharing stories and then you're listening empathetically to their stories, mm -hmm. that people mm -hmm. actually do start to change their minds. Um, mm. But if you go at them with this and that and this stat and whatever, people just stop. They're just, they can't hear it. And they also in the post-fact era, you're not going to be able to come up with any facts that they trust. Cause they're going to be like, where'd you get that fact? And you're going to go to New York times and they're going to go, oh, fake news. Right. So <laughs> there's nothing, you can, oh. there's nothing you can say. What you can say and what they've found that people actually trust is your personal experience. So mm. like, can I tell you about something that happened to me? You know, yes. and can you, you know, or something happened to my neighbor or, you know, whatever somebody, or do you know somebody like, do you know somebody like this and what's it been like for them? You know, and and do you think, so, but don't you think people would, could still say, you know, in, in the vein of like a Mitch McConnell, I hear that. And that's, you know, and I'm sorry, that happened to you not on the up and up. I mean, so <laughs> that's not, but you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows what he actually believes? You know, I, I don't yeah. like, I think like what he says is, I don't know that it's necessarily has any connection to what he believes. I believe, because I, I do believe that, you know, the Mitch McConnell's and the Ted Cruz's and the, how, I, these guys are, are much too smart, right, to not understand that these things are I don't, real. Yeah, I don't believe that he, I don't even believe that he believes that racism isn't, like, it doesn't exist. I don't I, believe I agree that. with you. Um, and, uh, so but, I think but, but that's what I'm saying. When, we, when, when you, when we feel that way, or we have an understanding, that's what makes it complicated for me. And that's one of the things that I, I think I may have mentioned in, in, in a, in a, in a message to you on Instagram is like, I've, I don't know how, what grace looks like for me for someone who is literally lying and denying these things for political gain, because I think that's a very problematic person. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that's not not grace. So I think that like be like naming a problem and you know, you said a problematic person, you didn't say they're evil. They're 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 like not even human, you know, which is right. how people talk about people. I mean, it's right. like so it's, it's so recognizing like, yeah, this is not okay, and what they're saying is not okay, and um, their behavior is unacceptable. That's that's still grace. Like you're not mm. going down the road of like you're creating, you know, you're creating that space for them to, you know, to be a person um, that could hopefully do better. But you don't have to endorse it and you don't have to, um, you know, you can challenge it. I mean, I challenge I I challenge things all the time. And, you know, yeah, there's some people who come, but Republicans will be like, you're not having grace. It's like read the book because that's not what <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sorry, like Jesus called things out. Like, are we going to say Jesus didn't have, are we going to say MLK didn't have grace? Like, give me a break. Yeah. And we were, we really romanticized both Jesus and MLK yeah. because I mean, when we really look at what 
a lot of what MLK actually said. He really did call people on the carpet about a lot of things. And yeah. I think to your point about um, folks who act like that, um, yeah, I, maybe I am exhibiting that and wasn't aware of it because I have friends who will, you know, if somebody sends me something, um, feel distasteful about Trump, right? And, yeah. and you understand what I mean by distasteful. Yeah. I will say, look, let me be very clear. Um, I don't wish any harm on Donald Trump. Yeah. I don't. I don't wish harm on him. I don't want him to be sick or die or any of those things. I just don't want him to have any power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To affect people's lives. And so any same with Mitch McConnell, like he can live to be a thousand. I don't care. I just don't want him to put policies in place that harm people. That's what I really care about. Yeah. And that's, and be- that, that, that's great. I mean, I don't think that that's, that's not, that is not in any way, not grace. It's um, because I think that, being morally clear about, you know, right and wrong and mm-hmm. who's harming people and all of those things. I, I don't think, you know, and I think, you know, like what does grace look like in that situation that you just described? I think it's boundaries. Mm. It's boundaries. It's just not letting them get in your head and, you know, start you churning all sorts of whatever this person who sent you this stuff, they, they've gotten in and they're now living in this person's head and they're causing them to, you know, have contempt and, hatred and all these other things that are very corrosive. And, you know, that's why MLK said hate is too great a burden to bear. It it acknowledges that it is an actual burden and that we carry it and we, we, we bear it. So it's Mm -hmm. not about the other person. And Mm -hmm. so like, really, this is about, this is like self-care. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not about like the other person doesn't really most of the time even know that you're having grace for them because most of us aren't walking up to people and saying, I hate you. I think you're horrible. You know, (laughs) like we're just thinking it. Yeah. Saying it to other people and we're suffering, you know, because they're the ones that are like churning about it and, Oh, they're so terrible. And yes, God, you know, and they're like, and they're off like living their best lives. (laughs) And so it's, 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 yeah. So I think it's, I think people sometimes think grace is something you're giving to another person, but it's, it's not like they don't, the chances of them even knowing that it's happening, I think are pretty low. So when we talk about that, um, I, I want to raise a couple other points. When we talk about that, how do we, um, I did an interview with um, a psychologist uh, a few months ago and we were talking about racism and you know, being an activist or one who tries to motivate people and then happen to engage what's happening on a regular basis. And I was, I was telling him how um, toxic that can be. And I, and I talked to my therapist about it as well. Um, and so I realized that I have to unplug from time to time. And so what is your, how, what are your thoughts around unplugging? Because I have friends who are completely unplugged. Like they don't watch any news. They don't like, they only look at comedies. And I'm like, I don't know if that's responsible. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that, so I, I initially, when I started kind of this journey, you know, um, was I basically sat there and I thought, okay, I want to have grace. I want to see the world through the prism of grace. I want to be able to, I want my behavior to be aligned with my values. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what is standing in the way of that? Like, why can't I do it? Why am I not doing it? So I started to look at the different things. And the first thing was I had to get off of Twitter. So, mm. um, so I, I got off of Twitter, I deleted, I actually had my fiance change my password. Um, and, and I got off and I was off of it for about a month. And I can tell you, I started feeling different right away. And really? 
So now I go on it a little bit here and there, but I'm not, I'm very removed from it. You know, I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I used to just live on it basically. And, um, I love and, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And, then I, and you know what, if it's not activating you, it's different for every person. Yeah. So, you know, um, gaslighting is really activating for me and there's a lot of gaslighting on Twitter. And mm -hmm. so, um, so I think everyone has to decide what feels right to them. And if it's mm -hmm. not affecting you, then there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and then uh, also I looked at the way I was consuming my news. And so now I really spend most of my time reading the news. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. watch a lot of TV or anything like that because mm -hmm. that is much more activating. Yes. You know, and, and, and I think for each person also has to, you know, I have a chapter on trauma, like looking at your trauma. Yes. I have had a fair amount of trauma in my childhood. I had a fair amount of trauma in my adulthood. So my central nervous system can get activated like pretty quickly. Yeah. And so people have to be aware of that. And another person wouldn't be activated at all. So, yeah. although I have to say that's rare, <laughs> a person who wouldn't be activated by watching round the clock news is, I, I don't know, that's very, very rare. Um, I think so too. Yeah. And so you have to focus on what's coming into your body because it's going to come out in some way. Like it's mm -hmm. gonna either you're going to yell at your spouse or you're going to go on Twitter and say something maybe you shouldn't have said, or, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe you're going to get a headache or neck ache or whatever, but it's going to go somewhere. Like it doesn't just dissipate. And so, yes. so I think everyone has to do their own kind of test of, you know, of what works, but I'm not an advocate of completely disengaging and of completely right. unplugging. And that is what a lot of people are doing. And because you, we have an obligation to know what's going on yes, and to be engaged. And so it's just, so I say like your test of your news source is, do I walk away from it feeling informed hmm. and like, act, and if I'm activated, am I activated to do something about it? Mm -hmm. Or am I activated to go trash somebody? Or am I activated <laughs> to hate a certain yes. group of people, right? So yes. it's like, so really you want to be activated towards, I should write a letter to the editor. I should, you know, elevate some voices that are talking about this, that, that are experts on it. Um, mm -hmm. I should, you know, give money to a, an organization or donate to a campaign or volunteer. Like it should be pushing you in that direction instead of mm -hmm. pushing you into like piling on somebody on Twitter or whatever, right? So um, but I do think you have to, you know, spend a lot of time staying grounded and, you know, I meditate and I go for lots of walks and yes. I do a lot of that kind of stuff just to keep your system kind of calm because it's a very, you take, you take vacations. I, take you, vacations. Yeah. I was definitely like, you went, did you go to Europe? I think you went to Europe. Italy, yeah. I was like, I love Italy. So I was, yeah. I, I was like watching your, um, your, your yeah. posts. So I was like, yeah, it's, it, we all have to, in whatever ways we can, because everybody, you know, can't yeah. leave the country, right? They don't have the ability or means to do that. But right. to your point about walking or just turning things off or just reading a book or, and sometimes like maybe just watching a comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do think it is important to be engaged, um, to a degree. I have a friend who lives in California and we were talking about, um, this is probably before the last election um, about voting. And he just said, you know, I don't really pay attention. I don't really vote. Why don't you vote? And he was like, well, I don't, I just don't know. I don't, I don't think it really matters. And I said, well, you have a child. Yeah. And he was like, yes. And I said, do you care about the quality of air your child breathes? He said, of course. I said, okay. You have a car. He's like, yes. I said, is there any emissions test? And he was like, 
Yes. I was like, well, an emissions test determines how much pollution your car is putting into the atmosphere. And there's a certain limit. Who determines that limit? And he was like, uh, probably some political person. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I said, so there's an issue right now in Flint and um, another city in Michigan where they have, you know, lead in the water. Yeah. They don't have clean drinking water. Right. That was that happened because of a decision by a politician. Yeah. I said, so when you turn your water on, you have clean water, right? And he was like, yeah. If you fly on a plane, is it safe to fly? Yeah. That's an, that's an FAA decision. That's a government agency. So I was like, you know, if you, if you, if you damage your car on a pothole, does that local municipality pay for that? Like, these are all things that affect your life. And so I was basically trying to make the point that politics affects every facet of your life from your taxes mm -hmm. to everything. Right? right. So to be disengaged, is to not have your voice as a part of that conversation about the things that are actually happening to you and right. people you love. So I think that, you know, you have to strike a balance to the point you're making, but we cannot be disengaged yeah. from the process yeah. when things are affecting yeah. us. Yeah, and I have to say, it doesn't take that much time to be informed. It really no. doesn't. It's like, it doesn't. you know, we have these people who live in the extremes. They're either like absolute news junkies and that's all they do is consume news, right? <laughs> <laughs> or they have people who are just like doing nothing. And it's like, you can just read the paper for 15 minutes in the morning and you're going to have a pretty good idea of what's going on. You know, yes. and it's it's like, just subscribe to the New York Times or, you know, or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. just read the news stories. Like you're going to, you don't have to read the op-eds. You don't have to do any of that. But like, you should just know what's going on. Like have, you know, read your local newspaper or unfortunately local news is, is dying. Um, <laughs> You know, but to have, you know, some idea like, you know, that democracy is under attack right now would be a good thing that people should know. Yeah. You know? And you have these things that happen and um, I didn't see it, um, but I was told that, you know, there was a moment of silence on the House floor, I believe, mm -hmm. and that only Liz Cheney and Dick Cheney were the only Republicans there. Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So, so I want, I want to, I want to tackle this last thing, um, which I thought was a very interesting part of the book. And, and you talk about embracing healthy conflict. Mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is conflict that doesn't have contempt and you know dismissal and all these things that we tend to go to when we're angry. Um, mm -hmm. And it. Um, there are a lot of different steps to it, but I think that, you know, the the easiest way to explain it is it has clear guardrails around it and both people walk away from the conflict feeling like even if it got a little heated and or a little intense, that mm -hmm. they feel like I was heard, I heard what they said, and that was a good use of time, right? And conflict, now, would you, say, would you say conflict and fight are different? Yes, I okay. would. Yeah. Because I think a conflict to me, I mean, and, and, and I will, I will, I don't fight with people sure. anymore. I used to when I was younger, but I will engage in a conflict to gain understanding, mm -hmm. right? So if the person is trying to understand me and I'm trying to understand that, then that, that can be conflict and it can be hard, um, mm -hmm. it's worthwhile. And, and, and the guardrails around that are, you know, no yelling, no contempt, no name calling, no, no interrupting, mm -hmm. um, admitting when you're wrong, you know, th these kinds of healthy things of sometimes being like, you know, you know, sometimes you say something you shouldn't say, and the person calls you out on it. And rather than doubling down, you're like, you're right, I shouldn't have said that, you know, and yeah. it's like, let's just move on. And let's, 
let's uh, you know, at, at being empathetic, you know, mm -hmm. listening to what the other mm -hmm. person is saying and listening without judgment. <laughs> yes. Basically saying, I'm, you know, I really, really don't agree with that, but I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to treat you with respect. And, and I think when you do that, um, sometimes people, sometimes people change their minds. It's very rare for people to change their minds, but sometimes people change their minds. Um, and also Rome was not built in a day. So remember, like sometimes you're just planting the seed and somebody else is going to water it and somebody else mm. is going to nurture it. And right. It's not, um, or, or, or it could be over a long period of time. The person's, you know, you, you, you're starting to get them to think a little differently about something. Yes. Um, and you know, like, like the example, when I was talking earlier about the empathic listening, um, mm -hmm. there's been various studies on something called deep canvassing and mm -hmm. those typical political canvassing is you go out and the person opens the door and you're like, hi, I'm with some, you know, whoever, and here's a list of reasons that you should support the bill protecting transgender rights. And it's mm -hmm. like, da, 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 and the statistics, right? Mm -hmm people are like okay you know and it's like probably if the, you know they agree they'll listen to you and if, if they're really hostile they're not going to listen to you and, and and what they found was what they did instead and they did this in boston um they had transgender people go out mm. and um and the trans and in fact even one of the activists said they felt it was actually an act of grace is what they were doing because mm. they would say hi i'm here to talk to you about this you know this this um you know thing that's on the ballot that protects us protects transgender rights and um do you know any transgender people you know and they start talking and the person's yeah. look i'm just not i don't have anything against them but i don't support yeah. their you know i don't think they need any extra protection and she's like well actually i'm transgender can yeah. i tell you a little bit about what it's like for me yes. exchange this information and they talk and and um anyway they credited it with actually this it was it actually was already in existence in law and it was gonna i think expire or something and mm -hmm. to be in any way they ended up protecting gen, transgender rights and they did another one with undocumented immigrants and same thing and so when people when you're not like judging people or like how could you think that or whatever and mm -hmm. just like saying you know <clears throat> it's hard i mean it is hard in fact i just said like look it was really hard um, but it, it, you know, it works. And so I think it's just really like listening, not judging and just, you know, having a conversation. I mean, I think when you describe the conversation you had with the white guy in the bar, I mean, that sounds like what you were doing. I don't think you were, you weren't like demonizing him and how could you? No, I, I wasn't. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, if I'm honest, which I always try to be, um, you know, when he told me that he was from, um, I grew up in Memphis, so he told me he was in Mississippi, and you know, I, I just had some thoughts immediately about maybe what his thinking was by some of the things that he was saying, and um, I'm also very aware that to the point we we were discussing earlier that a lot of people don't see themselves as you know racist or biased or what have you, um, and it's like you know probably I'm sitting here in the bar talking to this black guy and he's nice and. We're laughing and we're talking about sports or whatever we were talking about, um, but I but I did understand through our conversations that there was a you know a bit of a, a disconnect in terms of how he thought about race and racism, and and the example that I gave him really 
crystallized things for him. And he was like, I never really thought about it in that way. It's the mm -hmm. same conversation I've had with people about trans. I have, a, I have a cousin who's trans. And when I have those conversations, you know, um, I know the things that my cousin, you know, has lived through, is living through. And my cousin's parents, whom I grew up with, you know, um, my cousin's dad, um, who's obviously my cousin as well. <laughs> um, the things that we, you know, we discussed because I had a deep conversation with um, my cousin about it, you know, um, the father about, you know, the empathy and, and like the things that he had gone through. And he's done such an incredible job mm -hmm. of embracing his son and, you know, understanding. And now he's on a, he's on a um, LGBTQIA plus um, committee at his, in his corporation. And he's really doing the work, um, which is beautiful, you know, in my estimation. And I think that, you know, having people we love and people we can connect with and people we can um, see and hear sometimes, you know, sometimes works because there are situations where people don't even talk to their own parents because the parent is like, no, you can't be this yeah. way, or that's unacceptable. Um, and there's really not much you can do with that, you know, that point. Yeah. But I think that these conversations, I love that canvassing idea, um, that deep canvassing idea. I think that's important. And I also think it's why representation is so important mm -hmm. because you need people with different lived experiences to articulate to you um, what their lives have been to mm -hmm. say, you know, this is not just some statistic, you know, this is just not some study. Um, I actually went through this, you know, I mean, I've actually lived through instances of being profiled and I've, I've walked into hotels because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm a creatives, right? So, mm -hmm. One day I may feel like I'm wearing a suit and the other day I might have on, you know, a earring that's draping and shades and a backwards cap. And I remember going to Florida once to do a television taping on a Christian network. And I was, you know, dressed more urban. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I walked in the hotel and I just look at the person's face because I read people's body language pretty well. And what's always interesting is when they say, you know, hi, how are you? You know, how, how may I help you? Or how are you? And I say, I'm, I'm well, how are you? And then they're all like, oh, my God, he speaks English. <laughs> that's, the, that's the feeling I get. And I could see their entire, every energy shift, right? Because I, I'm an acceptable Black, right? You know, in that, in that moment. And I think that when you live through that and you have these um, incidents of sometimes, you know, they're microaggressions and sometimes they're more overt. Um, people will say things that you kind of have to um, determine how you're going to respond in those moments, you know? Yeah. Um, and I try to be um, poised and, and most times I am, but sometimes it's just, you know, it, it feels overwhelming. It feels like too much um, when people say certain things or they ask you certain questions. Um, I was, I was um, in my military, I was in the military when I was, you know, a young lad and um, I, we were doing a check going around the dorm. And it was a young white guy from, I think he was from Iowa or somewhere. And he said, yeah, that, that guy, he has an issue with his night display. And I said, which guy? He said, the colored guy. I was like, I beg your pardon? <laughs> what, what? And he said it again. And you know what was interesting? Is I looked at his face and I could see that he didn't mean any harm. Mm -hmm. That's just how he was raised to talk. And... I didn't, I mean, I was too young to have this, whatever, I wasn't where I am now, but like, now I would have engaged him and said, hey, you know, that's not an appropriate 
descriptor when you're talking about a human being and you know challenge him in some ways and 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 i think that sometimes for for a lot of us it is it feels overwhelming it feels it to, is to, to, to live through it and then have to feel like you have to teach people and you have to talk about it and you have so to say, explain to people. What Grace Runs Out is about, you know, I think that like it is overwhelming and okay. um, it's, which is also why, you know, white people need to be doing the work and, you know, being allies is because rather than putting it all on, on, other people to have to be, you know, fighting these battles all the time. And what do you think that looks like? Um, I think it looks like speaking up and saying the things that need to be said and not acting like it's not your problem, you know, mm. which is a lot of times what happens or people don't want to, you know, say things um, like what you were describing the conversation I had, you know, on CNN, because they're going to get all the hate and they're going to get all the blowback. And just realizing that like whatever hate and blowback you're getting, it's just nothing compared to what most people, black people are living uh, with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's, it, and so I think that, um, you know, and I think it's, I have found like white men to be the hardest. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think because they have the most privilege. They've had the most privilege and it's, and it's, and I'm not making excuses for them, you know, mm -hmm. because I don't really cut them that much slack. Um, mm -hmm. But I have just noticed it that, you know, they were raised to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like they were raised to be dominant, to dominate people, to be mm -hmm. aggressive, to be mm -hmm. opinionated, to think they're right about everything. And like, that's what makes a man, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and mm -hmm. to be the leader and all these things. And then people come along now and they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, people are saying, no, actually forget all that. <laughs> you know, now do I need to be totally different? And it's like, and so I, I get that. I also, at the same time, I, like, I feel like at this point, I just, I do feel like the, the grace period has passed. Mm -hmm. I, so it's like, there was a point where I was like, yeah, I get that. I feel that. But now it's like, what are you do, actually doing? Like, have you read a book? Have mm -hmm. you like one book on anti-racism, one book on anti-misogyny. Like if you've done mm. something that's like, you know, I hear people or I see people on TV, you know, white men that I've known my entire career, um, you know, complaining about cancel culture and, um, you know, oh, all of the, the, you know, horrible, how horrible it was that so-and-so, you know, lost their job for grabbing somebody's ass or whatever it is. And it's like, with a million dollar severance right. but, but, but you've never once talked about women being harassed and women being discriminated against i know because i've been here the whole time mm -hmm. and now you're just so upset that this man you know what about all the jobs that i didn't get what about mm -hmm. all the jobs that all the women that you work with didn't get what about all the harassment that we put up with what about like the fact that like many of us spoke to you about it and you did nothing mm-hmm Right. And it's like, but now, boy, you have so much empathy and so much concern. And I'm just not going to take it seriously. But it's like when people say, I've heard this right many times. I'm sure you have as well. People will say, well, I, I want to, I know the racism is wrong and I know it's a thing, but I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say. And I feel like whatever I say is going to be wrong. And I just, I just don't buy that. I'm like, how complicated is it to say something is wrong? It's, it's just, not that complicated. And maybe you will say something wrong. 
I mean, Maybe okay. you know, it's like that, then you say you're sorry. You don't, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, but the chances of you saying something wrong in pursuit of equality, I think are pretty low. You know what I mean? What would you say that would be so horrible? Like, I, I think it would be equal. I think that we should, you know, not gun down black men in the street. I mm -hmm. like how, I mean, is that going to make some people unhappy? Yes. But I don't think it's, you know, I think that, so I'm trying to have empathy, right? And I, yeah. I have to say that I grew up in a family. My parents were academics. My mother was way ahead of her time. She was a feminist and she, mm. you know, very involved in, um, you know, standing up for the indigenous population. She mm. actually, the way I even know about the standardized testing in the first place is my mother was a big advocate of getting rid of it at the University mm. of Alaska because it discriminated against the native population. Wow. And so, um, so I grew up in that environment. So if I'd grown up in a different environment, maybe I would feel differently. I would feel more intimidated by it or feel more afraid. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but I would just say in that case, educate yourself. Like there's lots of books, there's podcasts, there's yeah. on YouTube. I mean, there's lots of content where you yes. can learn, you know, and then I think you, you know, in your own little sphere can start, you know, doing what needs to be done. And so, and, and also I think it could be something as simple as when you're making your decision about who you're going to vote for, mm -hmm. um, you know, don't just think of what's good for you, but think of what's good for marginalized people. Yes. Right? So, yes. Um, but, but a lot of it, I think is just trying to like take some of the burden, you know, and say, I'm not, I'm going to speak up and say something so that other people don't have to speak up and say something. I think that's so powerful. Um, I I am, you know, as I've said before, like I'm, I'm really a, um, I'm a fan of you. Like I think that the things that you do, and I I don't, I mean, I don't say that flippantly. Like I think the things that you do and that you say, in situations that are, um, you know, can be complicated, um, are really thoughtful and intentional and. Um, I don't really feel that way if I'm candid about like most white people that I see on television or in general, you know, and I'll see someone and I don't know if I should be saying names, but I don't really care. Um, like when you have engagement with people like Scott Jennings, who to me is just a really smart person, but he just says a bunch of BS and I'm like, he knows that makes no sense. And then he'll kind of have his political slant. Like Mitch McConnell is a great politician. No, he's not. I mean, he is in terms of political prowess, right? Doing his thing. But the things that he does are harmful. So like, what are you celebrating? Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like, it's like, it's, 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 this is an extreme example, everybody. So calm down. It's like, <laughs> celebrate, it's like, it's like Dexter, right? The, the show HBO. I love Dexter, but it's like celebrating him. He's an incredible serial killer. Like he's great. Right. <laughs> you know what? No, like what he does is horrible. It's horrible. That's the point. It's like, it's, it's a different way of seeing the world. And yeah. I feel the same way. And I think I've even said that about McConnell. Can we please stop talking about him as the master tactician and be honest about what he's doing? You know, yes. it's yes. What he's doing is very harmful and we shouldn't yes. act like this is like something that we should be applauding because he's so good at, you know, he's good at being bad. Yeah. Good at being bad. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, but I think that, you know, there, look, 
Scots are Republican and, and they, they, they see things differently than Democrats or, you know, whatever. So it's like, do I, they? Yeah, I think maybe. do they really, mm-hmm. maybe they do. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I don't want, I don't want to mess this name up, but I wanted to, as we wrap, I want to say, uh, um, you, you wrote this part that said it is I'm ending with the beginning of the book, right? The, it is what the theologian Dorothy, Soul. I don't actually know. It's a German name. So, okay. so it's S-O-L-L-E. So, yeah. so, so, so. She grew up in Nazi Germany and she called it borrowing the eyes of God. That is so incredible to me, like as a, as a concept and an idea to think about the way that God views and loves in, in my belief system, all people and loves everybody evenly and equally. Um, it's a tall order, <laughs> but it's I think a it's a, order. Yeah. I think it's something that we should aspire to, you know, to, yeah. to see everybody, to humanize people um, and realize that everybody's not going to, you know, some people are just going to stay on their thing and they're going to be who they're going to be. And, and I do think that there are some instances, you know, one of my, one thing that frustrates me is when we have this kind of um, these false equivalents, um, conversations around like, can we talk about, you know, you, and you speak to this in the book, can we talk about big government, small government taxes? Yeah. Yes. Those are, I think those are legitimate conversations to have about how the country should function, et cetera. But when we're talking about like, you know, the enslavement of African people, there is no other side. Yeah. When we're talking about the Holocaust, there is no other side. They were but horrible like, things. Like period. The police brutality stuff. You know, I actually, somebody said to me, I don't remember who it was. I think I blocked it out because it was like traumatic, but it was, somebody said to me, like, I just didn't, it was after the George Floyd thing and Mm -hmm. said, it was a white person. And they said, I just didn't realize that this was happening. But how? I know. And that's what I was like, I don't, how, how did you not know? You know, and so many people said that so many people said that this event was like, yeah, and I think now I have to say I do remember there were times like pre twenty twenty where I can remember going into work thinking I can't believe we're not covering like this police shooting. You know what I mean? Like I just it just wasn't really treated as national news, and so I guess to a certain extent, but I don't know how I knew about it. That's the thing. Like I mm. I did know, so it's um, I think that. Yeah, a lot of people just really are living like we're living in another world. And, and it's like, and then the other thing that I always say is like, but you, you had to know black people were saying it was happening, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, maybe you didn't see the news about it. But like, you're not really surprised that like black people have been saying this. But like, maybe they don't talk to black people or know black people or see black people happening. And like, why did it take a video? And why did yeah. it have to be such a brutal video? Like, why did it take that when, mm. like, if it wasn't for cell phones, would we we'd be in the same place we were before? We and be. so it's like, why why don't why don't we as a society trust black people to narrate their own lives, mm. right? Like to mm-hmm. say like this is what's happening to us, and we're, we're all saying the same thing. So it's like everybody's not making it up. Um, you know, it's and. That, that's the part that like, I don't know if there's a psychological explanation, but I think you're right. Some of it could just be that they don't have black friends and they don't talk about these things. But they also would like, some of those people too will say, well, I mean, I know that's, but, but then look, here's, look at what Candace always is saying. 
you know, look at what Larry Elder is saying. And they will find these exceptions, right? These people who are extreme to really help but that's ridiculous. legitimize their own. You can't just bias. pick one or two people. I mean, the fact that you have, you know, the vast majority of black people think yes. this way, why are you picking the people that just happen to think the way you think? Like that's, that's highly suspect. Um, and, you know, and so I think that, um, I think the media could do a better job and I think it is doing a, a, little, a little bit better job uh, yeah. in terms of covering these issues. But I also think that um, <clears throat> people really just lived in a bubble where they didn't, if it wasn't like right in their life, yeah, they didn't really have any awareness of it happening. Um, but I think it has to be intentional. So I, I am uh, I'm, um, in the throes of doing a social justice album and I did a song called I Pledge, which is a song, an anti-misogyny song. And as I was looking, researching, Googling, I didn't find one. Mm. Like I didn't find one song performed by, written by men about anti-misogyny, not one. If it exists, I, I didn't find it. But what I, what was interesting is I know that as I've tried to learn, I've had to be intentional about talking to women and listening to their stories and engaging them. I did, uh, on my last season of the podcast, I was talking to a young lady in New York who works with the, um, the Vera Institute. And she said something that was interesting to me. She talked about going to work in New York. And when she gets up in the morning, she thinks about what she's going to wear. And she doesn't want to wear anything that's too tight or too fitting or too quote unquote provocative. And I was like, why? And she was like, because I walk down the streets and I might get catcalled. And so I don't, you know, and if you, and when you're catcalled, you can ignore it. Most of us do, but that might get a certain type of response. So it might turn from catcalling you to calling you names to yeah. violence and it could put you in fear. And I just, as a, as a, as a, as a man, that's something I never thought about. Right. What I'm gonna wear? Is somebody gonna like, you know, cat call me or whistle at me? I might find it flattering actually if they did, <laughs> but right. because I don't feel unsafe. Yeah, is the well, there's like a famous quote, and I'm forgetting who said it, but just that uh, men are afraid women are gonna embarrass them, and women are afraid that men are gonna kill them. Sheesh. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, very, right. it's very different. Yeah, so a woman's entire existence is built around not getting killed. <laughs> mm. You know, like every time you go into a parking garage, every time you have to get out of your car at night, every time you mm -hmm. have to walk down the street, and it's like, you know, not getting sexually assaulted or or murdered. Right? Sure, it's like it's just yeah, and so I think that, um, but that's incredible that there's no not a single. I, I haven't found one. So we, we really, um, we've, we've done a whole uh, video and, and everything and we really want to dig into, I want to, you know, partner with some organizations because I really want to raise the conversation, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it's important for, I, I think it's just as important for men to speak about misogyny to other men as it is for white people to speak about racism to other white people. I think yeah. you have to have these conversations uh, from groups that have the actual power that impacts people's lives and say, we have to do the work of deconstructing these systems that harm people. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, know, I think, and I think the other thing is that in the sort of when grace runs out category is that most of the men that I know, even though they have been listening to me, you know, for men who've been in my life, they've been listening to me as long as they've known me talking about misogyny and, and sexism and all the things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until me too, 
that they really started taking it seriously. And the reason was is because they didn't want to get me too, right? They started to be like, oh my God, like maybe I've done things I shouldn't have done. And it's like, and it, so it's this is what I mean. It's like you the we set up this this paradigm where it's like the only way to get anybody's attention is by you know, blowing everything up. And then everybody complains that you're blowing everything up. And it's like, well, but we didn't have to do it this way. Like we didn't need to blow everything up. Like it didn't have, that didn't have to happen. Like cancel, so-called cancel culture doesn't, wouldn't need to exist if people would listen. That, but that's the part that's really hard for me because yeah. it's like, why do we, to your point, why do we need to go? What, because this is not still, in my opinion, this is still not about equity and equality. This is about your own self-preservation. So, mm -hmm. so the, the, the motive is still not pure to me. Like, you're just like, oh, let me, you know, it's like there was a, um, who was it? Was it Mike Pence who said that he, uh, he wouldn't have a meeting yeah, with, with a woman you. alone? Like, he, yeah. no, just behave properly. Like, you don't yeah. need to be chaperoned. You know, just do the right thing. On this idea that like women are all Jezebels and they're gonna seduce you, <laughs> you know, it's nobody's nobody's trying to seduce my pants. <laughs> yeah, I no, don't it's, think it's a big thing in the evangelical world, like the you know can't be alone with a woman kind of thing. It's like, yeah, that's a whole another podcast. So yeah, <laughs> I want I, I want again as as we wrap. I, I'm a I'm like a preacher. They say you know we're gonna close like three times. Yeah. Um, but I want everybody to buy, um, Kirsten's book, A Saving Grace, and um, it's really a great read. And I think that it's um. I, I just when I when I was reading it, it just really made me. It helped me to understand even more, um. Just, just how intentional you are about this conversation and how deeply you've thought about it. And that's the thing that is really moving for me because I don't think that most people who live in any uh, area of, of privilege take the time to be intentional about thinking about other folks and how other people who are marginalized, especially people who live um, at the intersection of you know race and gender and sexual orientation, et cetera, how those people's lives are and the things they have to contend with on a regular basis. And so I really think it's great um, that you as an example, you know, speak about being not just not identifying as a racist, but being anti-racist, mm -hmm. which is different than just not being a racist, just saying, well, I'm not racist, you know, I'm over here on the sideline, but really doing the work to help deconstruct these systems, raise these conversations, and hopefully have some impact on our collective thinking that we grow um, as a as a country, as a people, and that we can become better. Right? Yeah. Is is the hope? That would be the hope. Tell me when you when that song is ready, because I want to write about it. I will definitely tell you. I will. I'll send. Finish now. I'll send it to you. Okay. So, can you before we uh, go? Can you tell people um, where to? on social media if you want them to <laughs> yeah um, it's, it's at kirsten powers on twitter facebook and instagram um and uh and i'm a lurker on tiktok i don't post them. so i may say i love tiktok like do i'm like, i don't understand uh, it it's so fun yeah i don't know how to, i don't know how to do it i should say i, so I like it but i don't know how to do it yeah i actually don't feel any guilt about just scrolling through that it's just so fun <laughs> <laughs> it's like dancing and jokes and like it's funny and then there's actually a lot of social justice stuff on it too yes so yes, i see that um and i know like my niece actually um she had posted something on her instagram a black lives matter that I, I forget exactly how it goes but it's like explaining like when we say black lives matter we don't mean that da -da -da. i don't know if you've seen that sign it kind of breaks it down and it's mm -hmm. like 
Um, and she put it on our Instagram, which in fair ways, Alaska is like, <laughs> you know, like it's bold. And, yeah. and so I was like, I said to her, I was like, I saw that, you know, thing on Instagram. That's really awesome. Like you did that. And, um, and I said, how did you know, know to do that? You know? Yeah. And she was like, and I mean, like her parents are like, talk about stuff, but not to that extent. Right. And sure. she said, oh, I learned it all on TikTok. That's great. Like, I love it. I love that. 12 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I used to have, um, I have a, I have a, I do have a friend who is from Alaska and it's always hilarious when we, when I introduce him to people and I'll say he's from Alaska and people are like, they're black people in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yep, it's me. (laughs) He lives in Atlanta now, but he, um, yeah, this, I, he's the only person I've ever met from Alaska. I don't, and, and you, I don't know anybody else from Alaska. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much, Kirsten, for this time and um, for this conversation. I, it's been really great. Um, it's yeah. been substantive. And, 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 and hopefully people will be inspired to do work and learn um, how they can be helpful to um, just the, the the world at large yeah. and people in this country <laughs> yeah. and and people who don't look like you and don't have your lived experience right because we yeah. you know love it or hate it like we're all on this planet together yeah and, and we'd be so much better served if we actually saw each other listened to each other and did our best to understand each other amen <laughs> <laughs>